Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and oilseed and fibre markets. My name is Olivia Agar. Thanks for listening into episode 220. Some of the fundamentals of the fertiliser market have really shifted since last year. And with that's come a win for growers in the form of easing prices. But that's not to say it's all smooth and easy sailing from here. For today, we're very pleased to have the company of Mark Tully, Market Research Manager of Nutrient Based in Calgary, Canada. Mark shares his insight into the market dynamics that sent fertiliser prices skyrocketing in 2022. What's changed for the 2023 outlook and whether we can expect the volatility to continue. Before we get into the episode today, though, a few quick highlights from market news this week. And the big talking point around the globe is the identified case of BSE or mad cow disease in Brazil, which has seen an immediate halt on Brazilian beef exports to China. Now, we're going to be watching this story very closely as it develops, as it could have a very big impact on the global beef trade outlook. So first thing to know is this isn't the first time this situation has occurred. In September 2021, two cases of atypical BSE were found in Brazil and it resulted in the suspension of beef trade with China for three months. Now, testing is being done to determine whether the recent case is also that atypical variant, which could be no risk of dissemination to the Brazilian herd. If this is the case, Brazilian beef trade would likely to resume more quickly than last time. But if it were to be a classic variant of BSE, it would be a very different story and could mean a prolonged halt to Brazilian beef exports to China. Now, the reason why this is so important is that China sources around 38% of its beef from Brazil. So disruption to this flow would mean they need to look for alternate sources of beef, which while not good for Brazil, would be a positive for Australian export demand and prices. So watch this space. That's it from me today. Enjoy the episode with Mark Tully and Robert Herman. Hi, Mark. Welcome back to Commodity Conversations. Great to see you on the uh, on the podcast again. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Always a pleasure to talk with you folks. Now, the reason we talk to you is because um, down under where we are, um, we do get the impacts of uh, commodity prices and whether they be our products we're selling or the things we're importing. And we've certainly felt recently, you know, the pain of, uh, like everybody, uh, the pain of fertiliser prices. So we wanted to talk to you today about that a little bit. Mark, um, global fund market fundamentals are shifting. There's changing supply, demand and the price picture it just seems to be moving over time. What's changed since last year? A quick snapshot of what's happened in the last 12 months. Yeah, good question. So I think maybe firstly, it's good for us to reset with what happened in 2022. And then there has been some stuff that's kind of changed to start 2023 that's worth worth touching on. So, um, you know, in 2022, there was a lot of supply tightness across commodities, but particularly for fertilizers. We saw a lot of market volatility last year. And now that we're heading into 2023, I don't know that the volatility's changed so much, but we are definitely seeing some supply and demand changes. Um, so back to 2022, you know, first cause of this was the war in Ukraine and prior Belarusian geopolitical tension. And that came with a number of financial and economic sanctions on both Russia and Belarus, which are two of the world's largest fertilizer producers. 
And with that, we saw an instant tightening of global supply, and then we saw spikes in prices and shifts in trade flows. And then as the year went on, some of that uh, led to overreactive buying from uh, those who needed that fertilizer shortly after sanctions were imposed. And that led to some inventory buildups across a number of key reasons. And then as we get into the second half of 2022, that's when we started to see a slowdown in demand, um, along with some falling prices for those fertilizer commodities uh, as you uh, as those regions had to try and work through those inventories that they were sitting on. Um, another key impact in 2022 was the dramatic shift in natural gas costs around the globe and predominantly in Europe, uh, which led to a number of curtailments of nitrogen fertilizer production, as well as led to a number of fertilizer trade flow shifts in order to kind of close that supply and demand gap that was created in Europe and in part in Asia. Um, but okay, so that's 2022. Where are we at today as we head into 2023? So I think the most fundamental thing that shifted is buyer sentiment. When we go back to Q1 of 2022, buyers were much more willing to take a forward position in order to secure supply. Today, though, buyers are much more risk adverse and they're buying hand to mouth. And I think that puts some pressure on demand. And we see that lower pricing in the commodity as a result. Um, what hasn't changed, though, is the supply constraints. Belarus and Russian exports of potash and ammonia remain significantly down, uh, and they remain down to start 2023. And we anticipate that's probably going to continue right through the balance of 2023 as well. Um, also, another, I guess, a positive piece is, though, crop prices remain historically high as we head into 2023, and that's something that hasn't changed. But at the same point in time, fertilizer prices have fallen pretty dramatically. And so... Now we have this greatly improved nutrient affordability situation that's occurring across most major markets and that's supporting demand for those products, but it also shores up, I think, the grower margins as well, which is a much more positive situation than maybe what we saw at the start of 2022. I want to touch on the other thing that's really shifted to start this year, and that's natural gas prices and global energy prices. So we've seen those prices fall pretty dramatically to start the year, um, which has improved production economics across a number of areas where we see nitrogen plants that are curtailed. Um, the one thing, though, that we haven't quite seen yet is those plants actually turning back on. The economics look better, but they're still not running. And so that's something that we're waiting for still. So that's, that's a really interesting uh, point. You mentioned Russia and, and the Ukraine situation. Um, we know that Russia, and you mentioned this, is a major exporter of potash, ammonia, urea, other soil nutrients. It was interesting that when the war began, though, despite analyst predictions that uh, shipments would collapse, Russian shipments initially jumped in value last year. What's the situation now? Is, is product moving through that region? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting point, right? Because we saw much higher prices last year, which I think allowed for those former Soviet Union producers to still make pretty good um, volumes in terms of dollars. But when we think about the actual volume of product, uh, that's where we see a pretty big offset and much lower volumes when you look at 2022. And even as we're starting off the year, pretty low volumes uh, being exported relative to history. Um, when we look back at 2022 levels of shipments, Belarusian potash shipments were down about 50% year over year. Uh, Russian potash shipments were down about 30% year over year. And as we're starting 2023, there hasn't been any kind of material change to that. They're still kind of running at those significantly lower uh, uh, export rates relative to history. 
Uh, Russian ammonia as well was a product that was impacted pretty heavily last year and shipped at lower volumes. A lot of that product goes via pipeline uh, through Ukraine and then shipped via the Black Sea. And so that was basically all but halted for the last nine months of 2022. And shipments for the calendar year of 22 were probably around 1.2 million tons. And that's normally well over 4 million tons of Russian ammonia that gets exported. So again, into 2023, we're really not expecting a major improvement for, for that product. Um, you mentioned urea and other soil nutrients, though, and I think those fertilizers were less impacted. They were getting to market at pretty normal levels and uh, in higher volumes in some cases, particularly to markets that were still friendly with, uh, with those producers, so Latin America, Africa, and Asia. So you mentioned, you know, the better margins that are, that are looking ahead for growers because grain prices, uh, crop prices have stayed pretty good and, and input prices have come back. At the same time, what I'm doing, Mark, is putting two and two together and saying this is going to cause a bit of volatility because the appetite for farmers to put out fertiliser um, is strong now. The margins are, margins are better, so therefore stronger. And yet we're seeing this sort of um, unreliable supply, perhaps. Um, is that going to be the story? Is volatility going to continue? And are there any other key volatility drivers that we should be thinking about? Yeah, I think as the market's heavily supply constrained and in many ways due to geopolitical events that are continuing to happen and we don't really have any clarity on if or when those sorts of things could change, I think seeing price volatility that's greater than normal in 2023 is very likely. Um, in terms of what could be drivers of that volatility, I think you definitely hit one clear point, which is um, demand. Buyers are much more risk averse, but the timing of applications follow the weather and the growing season and the economics and all of those things are looking pretty supportive as we head into 2023. So with uh, the tight global crop supplies and high crop commodity prices um, and the lower fertilizer prices, uh, I think growers are going to want to put that fertilizer down and try and achieve yield potential, assuming we get the cooperative weather. And Eventually, so as markets approach their application season, buying has to occur. You can't wait forever, right? And in order to get that product to the grower in time for them to apply it for the season. And so I think there's very likely going to be some volatility and some potential big swings in price as we see different hemispheres and regions of the world hit that application window and start to buy maybe more aggressively than they have been in order to secure those supplies. Um, I think the other piece, we've seen a lot of volatility in um, raw materials that are used to create fertilizer as well. So when we think of global energy prices, I don't think we're out of the woods when it comes to volatility there. And with um, a range of potential natural gas prices that could come out in 2023, we'd likely see that having an impact on nitrogen prices as well. And so some volatility from that aspect. And I think, of course, the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, with the restrictions and sanctions and the uh, ever impactful uh, fallout from the war in Ukraine, headlines from that region of the world could certainly create volatility in the sector too. So I'm talking today on Commodity Conversations to Mark Tully, and uh, it's great to get your perspective on, in this case, we're talking about fertiliser, but um, because we need to understand what happens in the Northern Hemisphere to understand the impacts that we're going to feel. Now, just to cut to some of the 
specific products, I guess, we've seen nitrogen prices soften and there appears to be some buyer caution currently. Is that likely to persist, persist through 2023 or is that going to be weather dependent, Mark? Yeah, so we definitely have seen uh, the softness in, in nitrogen prices to start off 2023 and definitely seen that, that buyer caution. Um, and I think that's been a primary driver of that softness that we've seen in price at the moment. I think the short answer is that buyers are going to continue to be cautious until there's greater price stability. And it's unclear, as we kind of touched on in the previous question, when that price stability could happen as we have so much uncertainty in the marketplace today. Um, I would follow up by saying that buyers will have to come to the market ahead of their application seasons to increase inventory and be in the position to support grower demand, which I think we do expect will be pretty strong. Um, but I think to summarize, generally speaking, buyers are likely going to be cautious through the balance of 2023 due to that uncertainty, but not at the cost of there being no supply or no material to get through the growing season. So um, it's sort of going to continue to, I think, be volatile. We'll see peaks of strong demand with probably uh, valleys or troughs of low demand as a result of that cautiousness. But uh, I, I think we will see that sort of kind of yin and yang play out through the year, if that makes sense. It's going to be interesting because if commodity prices hold, we are likely to see growers ch chase yield to capture the margin this year. And um, so it'll be something to watch. What about phosphate? What's what's your take on that market? Yeah, so it did start the year off a little bit differently than nitrogen. We did see prices start to rise to begin 2023 for phosphate fertilizers, although they have started to come off a little bit here in some regions uh, over the last couple of weeks. But current prices do remain well below the peak values that we saw in 2022, which greatly improves affordability for phosphates. I think generally speaking, we tend to see growers pull back on phosphate maybe faster than you would other fertilizers. And we definitely saw a noticeable decline in uh, use in 2022 for phosphate fertilizers as a result of the maybe the affordability, but also the accessibility of the products in 2022. Um, but I think that leads us into 2023 with this need to replenish phosphate reserves in the soil ahead of the season. Uh, we have much better affordability, which I think to your point, growers are likely going to be chasing some yield out there and may not uh, be afraid to put down a normal application of phosphate. And so generally speaking, I think it's uh, fair to say at this point, whether it's nitrogen, phosphate, or potash, buyers are taking a wait and see approach to buying, which is creating some softness in prices. But as we get into peak field activity um, in the Northern hemisphere here, I think we'll start to see uh, some of that action flow through into the commodity itself when we see that demand pick up. So we know how important fertilizer is in providing food security and uh, in the world. I notice um, there's a recent Bloomberg article where there's concerns that the um, upheaval in the fertilizer markets uh, could pose a key risk to food av availability in 2023. What's your take on this and how are third world countries dealing with these elevated prices, Mark? I note you said that you know phosphate use was down. Is it skewed towards those countries or is it um, or, is, or is that still to come? Yeah, so I think to answer the second point around the, the smallholder farms in the um, second world, 
who don't have the ability to maybe take advantage of those strong ag markets, and but they're still forced to face higher input costs, we tend to see their demand historically be more elastic for crop inputs in higher price environments than we would in industrial agricultural regions of the world. Um, so yes, I would suspect that their demand is maybe a more impacted than uh, those in places like Australia or the US or Canada or Brazil, but I think they're still, um, those, although in some places we're still down. Uh, that being said, I think it's fair to probably assume that they're a little bit more challenged getting that supply overall. Um, you mentioned, I, I think the, the key risk here being food security and availability in 2023 though, and I completely agree. I think heading into 2023, that's a major risk and we can't ignore it. I think it's important to remember here that, you know, one of the fallouts from the conflict in Ukraine is that two of the world's largest producers of grains and oil seeds are potentially unable to supply normal volumes. And we're seeing that impact the availability of wheat and corn all over the world. Um, we're expecting Ukraine's crop to shrink again in 2023. And it was already down by about 40% in 2022. Um, so that's going to continue to challenge. When we look at global grain stocks to use ratios, they're at their lowest level in 25 years. Um, so I agree. I think these constraints are going to uh, continue to impact food insecurity around the world. Um, it's likely going to be weighted more heavily to those regions of the world that are subsidence farmers and maybe can't afford to pay up for some of these higher cost inputs, but also just don't have the ability to go through years and years of low stocks to use or low inventories. Um, the one thing I would say as well is that this is a trend that began a couple of years ago too. So we're compounding the effects of something that really kicked off going back to 2020 with the COVID pandemic. And so we're building on something that was already a challenge and we don't have, I think, the solution yet in place. We're going to need a few growing seasons of some really big crops to reset this, uh, this challenge that we're facing globally. Well, it's, just, it's something that everybody will be watching closely, Mark, but one of the um, ways that this situation can amend itself, I guess, is the big producers having a good season. So just give us an update on how things are looking in the US and Canada now. What's the state of, well, for those listening to our podcast um, down under, if you like, what's the state of the crop and, and how does it compare to sort of long-term averages? Well, as I sit here uh, in, in the middle of February, looking out my window, the, the crop would be a winter crop and it's under a pile of snow if, <laughs> if you're in Canada here. For those growers uh, across North America, though, it can be a, a pretty wide ranging story because of so much a disparity in terms of where you sit in the world and what the weather could look like. Um, but generally speaking, we're at a seasonal low point um, as most growers are still facing winter weather. Uh, and whether it's snow on the ground or too much moisture, you're not really going uh, at full go yet here. Um, we are starting to see things warm up in the southern U.S. and in the western U.S., and so there's some activity going there, um, but we're probably a few weeks away from major uh, field work across North America for the new crop. The one thing I would say, though, overall with my talks with folks really through the agricultural supply chain here in North America, it leads me to believe there's a ton of optimism out there as we as we get ready for this new crop, um, whether it's the, the more affordable input prices or the historically strong crop prices, 
uh, or the opportunity when you, you think of the landscape from an exportability perspective of the crop that's going to be put into the ground. Um, and I, I think the growers, like I say, are, are quite optimistic. Most notably, I think we can point to the expectations around grain area in North America, expecting a pretty decent uptick in both wheat and corn area in the U.S. And I think that's going to be a driver for demand here as we get into spring for those inputs that we talked about today. So most um, grain producers in Australia would be horrified if they had uh, a cover of snow. Just what what sort of just just of interest, Mark? What's an average cover of snow look like at the moment over a crop? And what so so the crop's planted, it germinates, and then it gets snowed on, and then it just sort of hangs around until things thaw out. Is that how it works? That's how it works for some winter weeds, but. To be fair, it's a very, very small proportion of wheat grown in Canada that you would do that way. Um, most growers put in a spring crop in Canada and we just grow the wheat in a few months and enjoy that uh, normal rain and warm weather to, to develop that crop. But yeah, you're right. You would, uh, if you were going to do a winter crop, you put it into the ground in the, in the late fall before everything's frozen up. Um, you get that snow over top, it goes dormant. And then as you get into the spring, it germinates and you grow the crop that way. Well, look, Mark, I know it's getting later in the day in Canada and uh, it's still early over here. And um, But um, we really appreciate you um, being so generous and giving us your insights. I know we get terrific feedback from um, the comments that we publish um, that come from you. And so thank you very much. Um, look, I think we need to talk to you again sometime in the future. So we look forward to that and hope you can join us in the future. Yeah, we look forward to that as well. Take care.